Welcome to the Power Press Podcast. On this podcast, we share information to empower your podcast. I'm your host, Mackenzie Bennett from the Blueberry team. And my guest this week is Jenna Spinelli. Thanks for being here. Hey, Mackenzie. Thanks for having me. We actually have quite a few articles to talk about because you have a show that you co-host of your own, a podcast, but then you're also pretty involved and kind of in the know for what's going on on the industry side, I guess, for podcasting as well. So I'm happy to have you on. The first topic I wanted to talk about was about subscribers, because that's mm-hmm. kind of a, I don't, I, I don't know what to call it, a confusion. Yeah. A word for that, for yeah. sure. But that is one of the first things that comes to mind mm-hmm. about podcasting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've, I've said before that I, in, in some ways, it feels like the podcasting industry is held together with duct tape and super glue. And this article kind of reminded me of that. Oh, definitely. The article that I'm referencing is called Beyond the Download, Why Subscriber Numbers Are the Most Important and Misunderstood Metric for Podcasters Who Care About Growth. And right off the bat, this is something that we tell people all the time is you're never really going to know, or at least not right now, know the exact number of subscribers that you have for your podcast, because there are subscriber numbers coming from so many different platforms that you're not going to be able to get an actual accurate number given on the technology that we have in place at the moment. It's just not going to happen. You're going to get it from Apple. You're going to get it from maybe Stitcher. You're going to get it from Spotify who calls it followers because that's what you do on their platform. You're just, it's all a little too up in the air. Right. Some of this was, very technical. I mean, I tried to go down the rabbit hole of trying to figure out how many overcast subscribers we have and mm-hmm. like pinging the feed and, and all of that. And yeah, it, it seems like there there is a way to do it. But like you said, it's it's really hard and maybe not worth all the the investment of you know trying to to figure it out because it is so fragmented. One of the things that the article also talks about is why knowing your subscriber number actually matters and then focusing on how subscribers are sometimes a little different than the people that just will download or play or listen to an episode because subscribers say like, I am dedicated to your show. I want every update that you put out. So they're kind of considered more important in the dollar sign sense and for audience growth of this is how many number of people I have consistently as opposed to this episode resonated with more people. So it got a higher number. This is the people that are going to be back for everything. People want to know that. And I understand right. why. <laughs> yeah, I know. And that's one of the things that, you know, also reading this, I, I was reminded in some sense of, of how lucky I am or how fortunate I am that I don't have to chase advertisers for the show that I, I worked on. And you know, mm-hmm. we talked about this more later, I'm sure. But, you know, our podcast has, a dedicated budget line in our organization, which comes with some of its own challenges that I'm sure we'll get into. But one of the nice things is that I'm not trying to prepare reports for advertisers or things like that. Not necessarily that, not to say that their you know, subscribers are, are not important, but just that um, it doesn't have to be my main area of, of focus or, or a main area of focus. Yeah, definitely. So another thing is, We kind of we have a short explanation of this on our website is we tell people to look at your podcast statistics and look at whenever you release a new episode, 
what happens in the first 24 to 48 hours? How many people are listening or how many downloads have you gotten in that period of time? Because the first 24 hours, definitely people that are subscribed, people that are looking forward to your show every time there's a new episode out. And then the next remaining 24 hours, that 48 hour period is probably along the same line of like, they might not be subscribed, but they're definitely aware of when new episodes come out and they're going to go and download it. So we just kind of, when, when people ask for this number, we just kind of break it to them. You're not going to get this true number from anyone mm-hmm. estimated this way. Right. Kind of the best answer that we have at the moment. Yeah, no, and I, I definitely started doing that, and that's that's a super helpful way to, to think about it um, in mm-hmm. a quicker, more concise way. The other thing uh, I'll say about this, maybe a bit of a different take or like a, 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 a counterpoint to some of the arguments in this piece is that, you know, I don't know that it's necessarily an apples-to-apples comparison between, you know, they, they reference YouTube, and I, I think uh, Twitter and Instagram, uh, maybe Netflix. I don't think it's like an apples-to-apples comparison between those platforms and podcasting. Because if you think about it, you know, those are all companies that make money off of subscribers and, and their data, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, podcasting, while there certainly are lots of podcasts that make money, the industry or kind of the medium as a whole isn't quite set up that way. So, no. um, again, I don't know that it's, I necessarily agree with the, the comparisons that they make between podcasting writ large and some of these other services and platforms. At the end of the article, they bring up the IEB Podcast Technical Working Group, which set the standards for downloads uh, for podcast statistics. And Blueberry was a big part of that group. I know how long that took. One, the certification process, which was painful at times. But two, just setting the standard of what it was started. Like, I think that conversation started even possibly before I got here. And that was four years ago. Oh, wow. And we're just now getting here. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the process would be to even come to a conclusion for subscribers, especially when we still have so many new entrants coming in and using different versions of the same technology, just in varying ways. I mean, it's the same way, like, everyone counts stats differently, but we're setting that standard of how it should be done. And it's like... Mm-hmm. It's a whole new thing that we would have to do with subscribers as well. Right, right. Yeah, and I'm, yeah, and I'm sure as more people, you know, more more podcasts come online, more companies come into this space, I'm sure there will be more movement around doing it. But, yeah, I mean, who knows how many podcasts there, there will be by the time that happens. I just saw that the total number reached 700,000 uh, not yeah. that long ago. So, you know, I, I imagine it's only going to be uh, exponential growth from here. I imagine it will be as well. So keep an eye on your subscribers and all of your different arenas, I suppose. But really, my best bet would just take your best estimate with a grain of salt. Right. Until something more sufficient, more accurate, more reliable comes along. So. Right. right. All right. That is subscribers. And so... Let's talk about your show and what you've been doing. Uh, so you're involved with a show called Democracy Works. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. It's about democracy, as you might guess from the title. Um, yeah. 
our, our tagline is uh, examining what it means to live in a democracy. Um, so, you know, one of the, the things about democracy is that there's no one way to define it. There's, mm-hmm. there's an element that are related to government, like voting and things like that, but it also means, you know, protesting and organizing and free press and, and all kinds of other related topics. So there's there's lots of, of ground for, for a show. And it's produced by the McCourtney Institute for Democracy at Penn State, uh, along with WPSU Penn State, which is Central Pennsylvania's NPR station. So we try to take an educational approach to some of these topics, you know, part civics lesson, part kind of in-depth discussion on topics from gerrymandering to the free press. episode that's out now is all about immigration and populism and how that all relates to democracy. So I have learned so much uh, since we started this show last year. So many interesting people out there doing great work, and it's, it's been really amazing to, to learn from them every week. The, the name uh, comes from Pennsylvania and the you know, kind of industrial Midwest or you know, that, that kind of region. There's mm-hmm. a tradition of ironworks and steelworks and people coming together to build something greater than the sum of its parts. And, mm-hmm. you know, we see democracy as being kind of the same way. Like everybody has a little role to play, whether it's getting involved in a local civic organization or even just voting or subscribing to a newspaper or there's, you know, little things that everybody does that comes together to make this thing that we call democracy function. Right. You're definitely a nonpartisan view for this, as opposed to what someone might necessarily jump to for a conclusion in 2019, given the political climate in America. At the moment. Yeah, no, and that was that was exactly that was one of the reasons we started the show. You know, there's there's tons of, of political podcasts out there and people being pundits and you know, people that are, are very good at that. But mm-hmm. there wasn't anybody talking about the issues we wanted to talk about and the way we wanted to talk about them. So that was that was part of our, our impetus for getting the show off the ground. And so since this is from the university, was what are you guys paying for this? Yeah, so it is part of our organization's budget. You know, mm-hmm. we were able to, to kind of make the case to get funding to do like a, a couple of pilot episodes and then based on the, the traction we got from those we made it a, a standing item in our budget. So we're really lucky to have the support of a lot of our administrators and, and others, our, our donors um, from, from Penn State and beyond to help us make it possible and and to you know give us the flexibility to focus on making the best episodes that we can without having to, as I said earlier, chase advertisers or think about how we're going to, to pay for our next episode. And so you uh, you have two articles that you wrote earlier in 2019, and one of them is five questions to ask before starting a podcast at your organization. And so were you kind of the the backing person, kind of the initiator for getting this started at your like in, with your team? Yeah. So um, I joined the McCourtney Institute in uh, October of 2017, and mm-hmm. Michael Berkman and Chris Bean, who are my bosses and also my co-hosts on the show. We can we can talk about what that relationship looks like a little more if you want. Um, but uh, they had t- 
talked about starting a podcast for a while, but I, I think like a lot of people, like you know, if you're in any of the, the podcasting Facebook groups or, or Reddit threads, there's always this like, I want to start a podcast, but I don't know how. Yes. And, uh, you know, I didn't know how either, but I was more in my purview to, to figure it out. Um, I do also a lot of the, the marketing and external communications for the Institute. So thanks to, uh, you know, you guys at Blueberry and kind of the, the bigger podcasting community, I was able to figure it out and, you know, make all the, the, the preparations to get the show off the ground. We're lucky to, to partner, as I said, with WPSU. Um, so we record in their studios and we get that like NPR quality, which is really important to us. Um, so they've, they've been a big help to us too, even just thinking about how the show should be set up. You know, what should the music be? What, what should the segments be? How should they be ordered together? Our producer we work with there, um, described it as how do you get from black to black, which is, I think is a, a TV term, um, from what I understand, but it, it's really applicable to podcasting too, I think. It's mm-hmm. not just like what's your interview going to be, it's it's what's the overall episode experience going to be for your listener. Um, yes. So to kind of circle all that back around, I, I was the, the kind of instigator, if you will, for getting the show started, but with, with a lot of help within Penn State and from the, the larger podcasting community. Yes. So the uh, the article that you wrote with the five questions to quickly like just go over the titles. Your first question was, "What do you want to say, and how should you say it?" The second was, "Can you do it in a way that's not self-serving?" I like that one a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. Does someone else already produce this content, or someone close to it, which is a very legitimate concern and how will the show fit into your organization's mission and goals and how will it enhance the organization's work? All very important questions to consider because sometimes people just get so excited about the idea of starting a podcast, but sometimes I feel like there needs to be a deeper meaning of starting a podcast other than just like, I think it'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that should be part of it, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. right. Oh, definitely. But- but yeah, and I mean, especially at an organizational perspective, like mm-hmm. this isn't just something that like we're doing as a hobby, you know, yeah. in some respects, we're putting the institution's uh, reputation on the line, we're putting the state's reputation on the line. So there, yep. there has to be um, kind of the, those those larger questions and, and that, that bigger picture in mind. Definitely. It's not a let's start a Instagram account and see if we can get some traction with it. It's so much more work than that. It is out there to the public forever. Mm-hmm. Not to say that Instagram posts and whatnot aren't, but this is in a different sense of like they tried to do a podcast and it just completely flopped because that is not something that like that's not something that anyone wants at all. Right, right. So there was that one that you had and then another great one called why 2019 will be the year of the podcast and higher education and what it means for the industry. So you had some pretty two standard points in there of the untapped market and podcasts in the classroom. But tell me a little bit more about what you were trying yeah, to get so, across there. Uh, the, the impetus for that piece actually started when I was at Podcast Movement last oh. year. 
the uh, presentation um, from Edison Research talking about who listens to podcasts and all the, the kind of data that they put out. I'm sure you guys are, are very familiar with it, anyone who listens to this show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just thinking about, you know, there are lots of folks out there. You know, Penn State alone has over 600,000 alumni, right? And so how many of those people also listen to podcasts? And is there a way to use the existing affinity to the university as a way to bring some of those folks into podcasting as a whole. And, you know, what if every university did that? We're obviously not going to get all 600,000 alums or, or even even close to that. But if we could get even a few thousand more and if other schools could do the same, that would go a long way toward growing podcasting as, as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, I was struck by how closely a lot of the, the listener demographics match up with the kind of what we know about people who graduate with, with a bachelor's degree or even with, with a master's degree. You know, they're, you know, podcast listeners are well educated. They tend to work in jobs that, that allow them to listen, you know, during the workday. So office type of jobs. They, they tend to have commutes. Uh, so there was just lots of things, you know, lots of parallels, lots of overlaps there that, that I saw for how higher ed could kind of contribute to lifting up podcasting as a whole. It's a great segue for so many people that are already ripe for this type of content. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. Yeah, it definitely does. The other, the other thing I guess I'll say um, about this, going back to the, the five questions article, it, so there are lots of other colleges, even other groups here at Penn State that are in some process of, of starting their own podcast, which is, which is great to see. But there is this sense that it's, the, the podcast is a commercial for whatever the, the organization is, or that's what it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I tell people all the time that our show is about democracy. It's not about Penn State. Um, yes. We don't say how great Penn State is. I mean, we, we do talk about the work that we do sometimes, but that's not the, the primary focus by any means. So that's sometimes a difficult conversation to have, especially when you're trying to justify getting the money or support institutionally to, to do something. How long have you been doing the show? Uh, we launched in March of last year. We started um, having um, the preliminary conversations and, and shaping the show in December of 2017. So it was only like about a three-month kind of pre-production window, which is really mm-hmm. short for, for higher ed. Nothing happens quickly uh, yeah. in, in most cases. <laughs> Definitely. I've worked with many higher ed organizations organization here at blueberry and they'll reach out to me in you know january and then come back to me in april they're like hi we're ready to start right right (laughs) okay guess we've had all of your internal organ like internal conversations and you're ready to go yeah and and so we knew that um you know there was this kind of there was a renewed interest in democracy after the, the 2016 election. So it was, it was it was a hot market, and we knew we needed to, like, strike while the iron was hot. We didn't have six months or a year to, like, navel-gaze internally and, and really try to figure it out. We had to just kind of jump in and, and figure some of it out along the way, and I'm, I'm really glad we did that looking back on it. 
there are definitely things I would have done differently about our launch and, and, and some related things, and we've learned a lot along the way. But overall, um, I'm glad we launched when we did and were able to kind of claim the little corner of the, the market that we saw for ourselves. Do you guys have any plans for the future? Honestly, my own interest is peaked because we're, we have an upcoming election that is starting to become more prevalent in 2020 and is, I mean, I know you're nonpartisan and whatnot, but are you going to be focusing on the election at all, do you think? Yeah, we actually just started talking about that recently. Um, we, we know it's something we need to figure out. So being at Penn State, which is a large campus in the middle of a swing state, um, yes. we're going to get a lot of candidates coming here. We already had Beto O'Rourke come to campus uh, mm-hmm. earlier this month, and we're having Donald Trump Jr. come. So um, we need to figure out what our approach to these these candidates is going to be. Are we going to have them on the show? If we do, what are we going to talk to them about? And so those are all uh, conversations we're going to be having here in the, the coming weeks and months. Right. You've got quite a bit of game plan to figure out. <laughs> Indeed. It sounds great. I think you're way more in tune than some people are concerning shows and educational organizations, focusing more on the content than, hey, this is who we are as Penn State. Let's just focus on that part. So I think you're you're going down the right path. Oh, thank you. It's it's great to hear you say that, especially knowing how many others you work with. And, and I'll say, too, I'm, I'm happy to share what I've learned with others. So if there are other higher ed podcasters or others at organizations, um, don't hesitate to get in touch. I'd love to to talk with you more and and share what we've learned along the way. Definitely. And just a, just a quick mention, there is, I believe a second annual event happening this year called sound education. And last year was last fall, came together very quickly, but it was a conference for podcasters based entirely on nonprofits and higher education. So this fits directly into what you're doing. So. Yeah, no, I, I found out about that event at the last minute last year and was not able to go, but I was in touch with Zach, the, the mm-hmm. organizer, um, and I, I definitely will put that on my calendar for this coming. Yeah. Good, good. So thank you for sharing. Do you want to tell people where they can uh, find out more about the show or anything that you've written? Sure. Um, so the podcast is available at democracyworkspodcast.com or, of course, your favorite podcast app. Just search Democracy Works. And we release new episodes every Monday. Mm-hmm. My post, the articles we've been talking about, they're on Medium. Um, they were at one point in like the main podcasting section on Medium. I don't know if they're still there or will still be by the time this comes out, but I'll make sure you get links to Mackenzie if you want to put them in okay. the show notes. Next up, to wrap up the episode, I wanted to talk about our new partner, Audio Burst. So if anyone is not familiar, Audio Burst is a podcasting company that It's not exactly a podcasting company. It's just an audio company that takes clips of audio available online, transcribes it, and then creates something called little bursts of what they consider something like something that they were able to pull out that is relevant to a certain type of content and they will create a burst for it. And then you can share that and share that with your audience or people will be able to find it in 
some other distribution. Yeah, no, I've uh, I've been in touch with uh, Alexa, I think her name is, from mm-hmm. the, the team. They've been great to work with. Um, I'll admit, I, I have not had a ton of time to, to really poke around in there, um, but it does seem like it's, it's a really cool tool. Um, I know that there are lots of, like, third-party services out there that you could pay for for transcription and for, like, audiograms for, for Instagram or, yep. or what have you. So this seems like it does both of those things, and it's already built into Blueberry. So I'm looking forward to, to seeing what we can do with it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So as long as someone has hosting with us, uh, you can sign up for this for free. So that's something that we're very happy to be able to offer to our customers. And it's just you sign up when you're in the Blueberry dashboard and you just agree to the terms of service and then you're on your way. It takes the RSS feed and then we'll do all the hard work for you. It's just based on their AI library. And then they send it out to any of their distributions that they already have. And then you can take it and put it wherever you want as well. And, 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 you know, on our show, we interview a lot of long-winded professors. So yes. if it can if it can handle our show, I think it can handle anyone's show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, audio is hard in that sense to really grab someone's attention because we live in such a soundbite world. Podcasts are great for that long-form conversation that you truly enjoy. But like we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, there is an overload of podcasts to choose from and finding that one that you're like not going to start and then not enjoy and waste your time with. If you can already have a sample of it, that's great. Yeah, for sure. That's really good for audiences. So uh, there is a potential to make some money off of this as well, because uh, you can earn some ad ad dollars off of the audio burst that you're doing. So Take a look at that. See if that's something that you're interested in as well. But we think it's going to be really great for podcasters. So check it out, people. Check it out for sure. Uh, this year at Podcast, uh, there's going to be a panel that I'll be part of called How Podcasts Can Create a Win-Win for Organizations and Listeners. Um, it'll be moderated by Fred Dews, who hosts the Brookings Cafeteria Podcast for the Brookings Institution. Uh, the other folks on the panel uh, will be Sultana Ali, who uh, hosts the After the Fact podcast with the Pew Charitable Trusts, Shai Corman, who hosts the podcast for the U.S. Institute of Peace, and Kay Summers, who produces the Big World podcast for American universities. So we all represent different nonprofits and higher ed organizations, and we're going to be having a, a conversation very similar to the one that uh, you and I have just been having with Hinti, all about um, how podcasts can bring value to brands and organizations, but kind of how to frame that within the context of not being too promotional or too self-serving. So we will uh, dive deeper into some of those issues on that. Fantastic. I am headed to podcast movement as well. So I think it'll be worthwhile for many, many people to check out your, to check out your session. So great. All right, everyone, thank you for listening to this episode of the Progress Podcast. We hope that you will subscribe on your favorite app or share with your other podcast friends as we're trying to share information to help your podcast grow. So thanks for listening. I'll be back in two weeks. Thanks, Mackenzie.